Amen. Lord, we do come humbly before you. We do bow before your throne of grace. And Lord, I just ask in Jesus' name, Lord, as we go to this time in your word that you'd be our teacher, give us ears to hear what you would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I don't know what happened there, but God's in control. All right. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. I want to encourage you to pray about coming out on Wednesday nights. We, are, we go through the Old Testament on Wednesday night. We'll be on Judges chapter 4 this coming Wednesday. And Judges is a great book, a great exhortation for us living our lives today. The Word of God is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. It's not an old antiquated book. Amen? And the reason we study it is because it's God's love letter to us. If your life's a mess, get the roadmap out and start reading it. Amen? Amen? Spend time, you know, read the book, don't wait for the movie, as we often say. All right. Now, Philippians, just to bring you up to speed. By the way, if you're new here, we're glad you're here. God bless you. We hope you feel welcomed and loved. Here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have membership, but we have Jesus in common. We have everything in common. You show up, you're part of the family. Amen? Amen. We're going to spend eternity together. We might as well start loving on each other now. Now, Philippians is a book... A phenomenal letter, if you will, written by the Apostle Paul to the precious believers in the city of Philippi. And he writes it in response to receiving a gift from them. And as we read this letter, it is a letter filled with joy. Over 19 times he uses the word joy. And you know, when you're receiving a gift from somebody, the word joy makes a lot of sense until you understand the circumstances from which Paul is writing. He's writing from prison. Now, if I'm in prison and he's awaiting the potential, is even potential death, uh, joy is probably not my top emotion, right? But the truth is that, guys, our joy should not be based on our circumstances, but our right standing before God. Because your circumstances will change. And if you wait for your circumstances to be perfect, you won't have joy very often. So this morning, we're coming to the very end of the letter. We'll be in... Colossians next week, and we're finishing up Philippians, and I titled the message this morning, The Secret of Contentment. People since the earliest of time from every tongue, tribe, and nation have sought to find peace and contentment. But that peace and contentment cannot be found in the things this world has to offer. Guys, we try to find it, and again, in our circumstances, but sooner or later, our circumstances will change. Guys, the new car smell wears off, Amen. At some point, things are going to be a little different than they used to be. Our flesh will need, to be, will need more to be satisfied. The Bible says your flesh will never be satisfied. And guys, feeding it does not appease it. It only makes it grow. And so the truth is that we're going to need more money, a better job, a husband, a wife, children, a better husband, a better wife, better children, a bigger house, a smaller dress size, better health, a younger body, more hair right? There's those things that we're always going to look for that if I just had that, then I would have peace. Then I would have contentment. There's always something more that I need. But the truth is, there's nothing more that you need if you know Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you absolutely need him. Webster's Dictionary defines contentment as being satisfied with what one has. Being satisfied with what you have. That's contentment. Hebrews 13 says, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, now godliness with contentment is great gain, for, you, for, we, 
We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out of it. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Guys, when we start chasing worldly things in an attempt to find peace, it's only going to end in sorrow. Every single time. Because it will never be enough. The true source of peace and contentment come not, comes not from our temporary and worldly circumstances, but from an eternal perspective and a right standing before God. Our hope, our peace, our joy, our contentment is found in Him. And since we who are, are in Him, and since He doesn't change, regardless of our circumstances, neither should our peace, our contentment. As a matter of fact, we as Christians should be impacted by the world, shouldn't be impacted by the world around us, but having an impact on it. One illustration before we look at the text this morning. Guys, if you're born again Christian here this morning, you should be a thermostat and not a thermometer. Okay? What is a thermometer? A thermometer simply reflects its environment. If it's 80, the thermometer says 80. If it's 60, the thermometer says 60, and it bounces up and down with its environment. And sadly, that's, that describes a lot of Christians today, but that should not be so. We should not be thermometers, but thermostats. What does a thermostat do? A thermostat impacts its surroundings. A thermostat isn't impacted by it, but it has an impact on it. Instead of having spiritual ups and downs as our surroundings and situations change, instead of simply reflecting, reflecting our current environment, we are to have an impact on it. So Paul, as we look at the text this morning, was not a victim of his circumstances, but a victor over them. From Paul's example in these final verses of this letter to the Philippian church, we're going to learn the secret of contentment for us today. And we're going to learn it by seeing three attributes of our, of our God. You know, Paul didn't have to be pampered to be content. We all know that if you've been reading the Bible. Nor did his circumstances need to be perfect, but he found his contentment in the Lord. And those same resources, those same truths that impacted his life can impact ours. So here's the outline if you're a note taker. If you're not a note taker, you probably should be because you'll remember more stuff that way. But here it is, the secret of contentment. The secret of contentment. Number one, we're going to find that because of God's, and we'll see three attributes and how we should respond. Because of God's sovereignty, I can accept all things. Because of God's sovereignty, He's in control, I can accept all things. Number two, because of His unfailing power, I can do all things. Because of His unfailing power, I can do all things. And because of His unchanging promises, guys, we have all things already. So again, the secret of contentment, attributes of God that should produce contentment in us. Because God is in control, I can accept all things. Because God is, His power is unfailing, I can do all things. And because His promises are unchanging, I need to remember that I indeed have all things. Let's begin in verse 10 of Philippians 4, looking at the secret of contentment, beginning by the, looking at the fact that because of God's sovereignty, I can accept all things. By the way, what is the word sovereignty? The, another word for it is providence. In Latin, pro video. The word pro means to before, video means to see. God has seen everything beforehand, and doesn't that bring you some comfort, amen? amen? You might be surprised, God never is. You know God can't learn anything, because He already knows it. 
And because God already knows it, he's not surprised by anything. And so he's in control. And because he's sovereign and because he's faithful and because he knows all things and sees all things, we need to learn to trust that when the things come that surprise us, that God knew it was coming and he's going to use it for his glory if we'll just let him. No matter what it is. Think of some of the people in the Bible. How about Joseph being sold into slavery? Did that seem like a really good program at the time for Joseph? Thrown into a pit by your brothers and then sold into slavery. But we know how mightily God used Joseph in Egypt. What about Daniel? He was captured, ripped away from his family, enslaved in Babylon. His name was changed to the name of a false god, Belteshazzar. They also tried to to change his diet and change his belief system. And this seems horrific. But God used Daniel in a mighty way. David was toiling as a thankless shepherd. This certainly couldn't be God's plan, but it was preparation for what God had next. And Paul the Apostle in this text was sitting in prison, but it was all part of God's plan. Guys, some of you are here today, just found out you got cancer. Some of you are here today and you're going through difficulties in your home life with your finance. You know what? God's in control. Trust Him. God is faithful. We can accept all things. And again, Realize they all do work together for good. Look at verse 10. He says there, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Remember that last week he was encouraging them to be anxious for nothing. He was encouraging them to meditate on the things of God. And now he says, But I rejoice in the Lord. What is Paul's source of rejoicing? In the Lord. Guys, he doesn't say, I rejoice in my circumstances. I rejoice in my bank account. I rejoice in my bench press. Whatever, right? I rejoice in my new diet. I rejoice in my, right? And these circumstances that we want to rejoice in, but the truth is that our rejoicing needs to be in the Lord. That as they ministered to the physical needs early on in his ministry, he was rejoicing that God had used them to minister to him. What had happened was Paul had been there and they'd sent this this gift to him and it took a while for it to come. It even says they rejoice greatly that now at the last your care for me has flourished again. When Paul's ministry began, there was one church that supported him. Do you think that they're in heaven thankful that they did that? What do you think? Absolutely. The Philippian church were the first church that got missions. They grasped it. Paul's out there. We need to support him so he can go out and do the work of the ministry. And you know what? There are people in heaven today that are still rejoicing. Do you know that the ministry that that they supported was Paul's journey into the area that we would call Europe today? Guess what? That impacted a few people in this room. Amen? Because you know what? God's... Our ancestors that God used, Paul, and here's the Philippian church, because they faithfully gave, people were reached, and it was accounted to them. Guys, one of the trends I see in the church today is out of sight, out of mind. May we not easily forget those who are serving God far away. You know, we have a full-time missionary, Carrie Wheeler. Can I encourage you to pray for her? She's in Africa, toiling where nobody within a, a great distance knows her language. And she's reaching out to Muslim women. Let's pray for her. Gospel for Asia. We as a church support over 100 missionaries in India. Let's pray for them. You know why? Because we need to be, every church should be, we're not just missions-minded churches. We all should be missions-minded because that's the Great Commission. Amen? Amen. Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel if you're a missions-minded church. That's not what it says. We're all to do that. Amen? 
And praise God for the Philippians because from the very beginning, they supported Paul. From day one, they were behind him and supportive of him. You know, the initial support can fall off as the person is no longer in our sight lines. But praise God for people like the Philippian church in this case. And he says, your care for me has flourished again. This is, the word flourish is an idea of a, a flower budding or blossoming. After a winter of fruitlessness, it's blooming yet again. He says there, though you surely did care but lacked opportunity. You know, one thing about supporting Paul, it'd be hard to get the stuff to him. Because that guy never stopped moving. You know, he had to get in prison so somebody could bring him a gift. Because he was constantly on the move. You know, we talked about this. Wherever Paul went, he either started a revival or a riot, and often both. People were getting saved, and people wanted to kill him. That's his ministry. You know, he's ducking bullets and preaching the gospel, right? Shield, gospel, shield, that's Paul. And so he's, wherever he goes, it's revival, and at the same time, there's people that want to kill him. And finally, he had to land in prison so somebody could minister to him. And the Philippian church found out he was in prison. They sent Epaphroditus. Along the way, he got very sick. He finally shows up and brings him this great gift, again, showing that they love him and they want to support him in the ministry that he's in. God uses the Philippian believers to bless Paul at the perfect time. I believe the timing of the gift more more of an encouragement to Paul's heart even than the blessing of the gift itself. Imagine sitting in prison not knowing if you're going to live tomorrow and then as a pastor receiving a gift from a church you had invested so much of your life in just knowing that they're still on fire for God. That must have brought more joy to his heart than any monetary gift they could have given. Guys, we need to all understand that life is not a series of accidents and coincidences or lucky and unlucky breaks. Everything has been divinely appointed by God, even you being here this morning. Amen? It's all divinely appointed by God, and we need to learn to trust in those divine appointments and divine opportunities. And praise God that Philippian churches, we know are going through struggles, but at the same time still had a burden for reaching out in ministry. Psalm 32 says, I will guide thee with my eye. God's got his eyes on us. You know, I was writing this down this week. You know, God's our heavenly father, right? And I'm a dad. And you can't, you know, people always laugh. They come into my office. I bet I have, I might be off, but a hundred pictures of my family? That might be low, actually. And you know what? If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. Amen? Amen? If God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. Amen? He's our Heavenly Father. His eyes are always on you. He loves you so much, He'd rather die than live without you. You're His children adopted into His family. Why would we want to walk away from the one who loves us so much and knows what is best for us? They're divine appointments that God brings into our life, and we need to learn to not miss them. When we trust in the sovereignty of God, when we know He's in control, we can accept all things. We can, be rega- we can be content regardless of our circumstances because we've got an eternal perspective. Guys, we need people say that people are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. I disagree with that. I think people are so earthly minded they're no heavenly good. I think our mind is way too much on me, way too much on the world, way too much on my problems, and not enough on eternity. Guys, My prayer for all of us, Lord, paint eternity on our eyes. May we wake up every day and live in light of eternity, not in light of today. Because, guys, 
If you've heard me say, and someone's challenged how theologically sound it is to say this, but we're going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive. They go, Pastor Dave, you're not, we're not going to be dead, but we're going to be out of these bodies a lot longer than we're in them. Amen? And where we spend eternity is far more important than how we spend this vapor of time, but may we use it for God's glory. So they brought this gift to him, and he was blessed by it. It was an encouragement to him. And then it says in verse 11, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. Boy, can we all learn from that statement. While Paul was blessed by the gift, most specifically, it was the heart from which it was given that blessed him the most. And the truth is that Paul, having Christ, didn't need anything. He didn't need anything. You know, sometimes my family gets frustrated with me at Christmas and birthdays and like, what do you need? Nothing. And it's true. And I know people want to give you stuff and that's nice. But the truth is, when you got Jesus, you don't need anything. And you can learn to be content no matter where you are. We may be struggling to be content in our current circumstances. Man, I'm in school and it's just going on forever, right? How many many years I got to do this? People that are out of school go, man, school was sweet. (laughs) Remember summer vacation? Man, two weeks off at Christmas, right? We need to learn wherever we are to be content, amen? Learning to be content because God is in control and he has us where he has us for a reason. Paul had learned to be content. He had to learn, I like that. I have learned to be content. You know why? Because we don't start off content. We have to learn it. How do we start off? Discontented. Impatient. I didn't have to teach my kids to be selfish. They learned that all on their own. You know, most little kids, one of their first five words is mine. We'd start off not content, but selfish. It's all about me. I'm always on my mind. Everything is in the light of me. And you know what? We need to learn to be content. And we're not going to learn to be content until we get our eyes off of us and get our eyes on Him. Because it's our circumstances that bring discontentment when we take our eyes off of Jesus. Paul's contentment grew. Now, you're not going to like this part. You know how his contentment grew? Through trials and difficulty. Oh, I didn't want that. I want patience right now. You know, Lord, I, I want to be content. I want, but no trials. I want to grow. But no, you know, I don't want to have to deal with any, you know, growing pains. I just want to wake up and be six foot four. Lord, I don't want to grow. I don't want to have to hurt. I don't want to deal with the pain and the suffering and the trials. Lord, I want to be a giant for your kingdom, but I don't want to have to face any of the difficulty. Each time we see God at work in our lives, we learn to trust in him more. Guys, it's been said without a test, there can be no testimony. Without the trials, we cannot grow. That's why it says in James, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Not if, but when. Because we need to go through difficulty so we can learn to trust in God. A faith that cannot be tested is indeed a faith that cannot be trusted. And then he says, whatever state I am in, to be content. Paul's contentment had nothing to do with the outward circumstances, but the inward peace that comes from a right standing before God. I did prison ministry for four and a half years in Southern California. And I knew guys on death row that have more peace than people living in million dollar houses. You know why? Because they got Jesus Christ. Because they know where they're going. 
He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And the people behind bars are freer than those who don't know God who are living in the lap of luxury. Reminds me of Daniel. Daniel's in the lion's den. What's he doing? He's napping. He's hanging out with the Lord. He's praying. He's napping. He's relaxed. Darius, the king, is up in the palace. He's up all night, and he's tearing the place up. You know why? Because there's more peace and more contentment in the lion's den with the Lord than in the palace without him. Our source of contentment, the secret of contentment, is right standing before God. Paul in prison, facing his potential death, but has peace and contentment that is only possible when you have an eternal perspective my life's verses philippians 121 where paul said for me to live is christ and to die is gain my life is christ and when i die it only gets better i'll tell you what everything perspective changes about everything when we get there whatever state i am in to be content may we learn to be content May we learn not to always be striving. May we learn not to be moving forward in our flesh, but resting in the Lord. Verse 12. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Paul knew how to live in humility and in prosperity, in hunger and hardship and in abundance and affluence, and both of them can be enemies to godly contentment. Sometimes, in times of difficulty, we are more desperate for God than we are in times of prosperity. You know, we're desperate for God when we get diagnosed with cancer. People, you know what, you want to do ministry? Go to the hospital. All kinds of ministry at the hospital. Because everybody's realizing, ooh, this is, this is gnarly. This is for real. Kind of hard to minister to people at the country club. You know, a guy with, you know, a $500,000 membership, right, getting ready to tee off, isn't all that worried about his life at that moment. You know why? Because prosperity can get our eyes off of God, I believe, quicker than difficulty can. And so, you know, in Revelation they said, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. I have need of nothing. What do I need? You know what you need? You need Jesus. Amen? No matter how much money you have in your bank account. By the way, if you put your faith in anything you can lose, you're in trouble. And guess what? You can lose any amount of money. Anybody who was around during the stock market in the last few years knows all about that. Guys, I'm investing in the kingdom. How about you? Invest in that which is not going to perish or fade away ever. The Philippian church was doing it, and God was using them. You know, Paul had experienced more than we can imagine. Let me read 2 Corinthians 11 to you. And this is Paul's, this is Paul's life. And this is a guy that has contentment. I've learned to be content in all things. But listen to the things he went through. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequently. In deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Now this is Santa Cruz, not that kind of stoned. All right? Once I was stoned with rocks. All right? Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things that come upon me daily. Who wants to be an apostle? 
But you know what? He was content in the midst of all of that because he was walking with Jesus. Guys, the secret of contentment is not getting everything you want, but learning that Jesus is all you need. That's the secret of contentment. We realize that He's all we need sometimes when, when He's all that we have. He had learned contentment and that nothing had nothing to do with how little or how much He had. That the place of true contentment was in Christ. Paul could say, I can live without it and I've learned to, con- to be content with it. Either way. Because God is in control. So guys, because God is in control, because God is sovereign, I can accept all things. But you don't know what I've been through. Does it compare to the list I just read? Does it compare? Anybody? Not me. And Paul was content. And Paul was a sinner saved by grace, just like you and I. God will use trials and circumstances for His glory if we'll let Him. So the secret of contentment, the first thing is because God is in control, I can accept all things. Number two, because of God's unfailing power, and it's available to each of us, I can do all things. Look what it says there. The rest of that verse. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you look up the word all in the original language, the word is all. I can do some things through Christ who strengthens me. I can deal with some circumstances. No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the first verse that my wife ever memorized. And you know what? If you underline anything in your Bible, that verse ought to be underlined. Because through trials and testing, Paul learned the wonderful secret of contentment in spite of poverty or prosperity. It's in the power of Christ within him that gave him contentment. I can do all things through what? Through whom? Through Christ. Not I can do all things through my great disciplined life. I can do all things through my tenacity. I can do all things through my healthy bank account. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is the power of Christ within him that gave him contentment. I can be content anywhere under under any circumstances if I'm walking with him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then John 15 is the counterbalance to that where Jesus said, without me you can do what? So I can do all things through Christ and without him I can do nothing. That's pretty clear. And yet, what do we try to do every day? We try to do something without Him. And we try to do all things without Him. But we can do nothing without Him. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I can do nothing in myself, but I can do all things in Him. Paul's motto was, I can through Christ. I can through Christ. But guys, before we can do things through Christ, we must be grafted into Him. In John 15, he uses the the parable of the vine and the branches. And if you take a, a, a branch and it's grafted into the vine, it, it is healthy, it is strong, and it bears fruit. You take a branch out of the vine, you know what it is? It's a dead stick. And yet we often are trying to bear fruit without being grafted into the vine. Guys, if you're not grafted in, it's fruitless. You can concentrate all you want and no apples coming out of you, all right? Not going to happen. You need to be grafted into the Lord, resting in our Savior. 
And you know what? The natural outpouring will be a fruitful life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want you to notice the context. What is the context this is being written? He's talking about while imprisoned, in the midst of difficulty, how to be content. I can do it through Christ. Guys, you can do all things. You can be content no matter what your circumstances through Christ who strengthens you. God is in control. I can accept all things. Because God's unfailing power is available to each of us, I can do all things. Thirdly, as we trust in the unchanging promises of God, we can say and understand that I have all things. Look what he says. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Paul was content even with nothing, but he still wanted the Philippian believers to know that it was a blessing that they shared in his burden. You know, the Bible says a three-chord strand is not easily broken. Guys, Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. You've all heard the analogies. You take a, a lump of hot coals, you pull one coal out and set it by itself. What happens to it? It dies out. You pick it up and you put it right back in the hot coals. What does it do? Fires up again. And guys, it's not for you and I to be the Lone Ranger off on our own program, but we need to be grafted into the Lord and a vital part of His body. Guys, you know, just share my heart with you. Our church is growing because people are getting saved. That's good. Amen? But it's not about building Calvary Chapel. It's about building the kingdom of God. Amen? Now, for that to happen, we all need to be faithful to use the gifts God's given us. Because you're here, if this is your home church and this is where you belong, guess what? God brought you here for a reason. He wants to use you. Ministry is not for the pastors, it's for the body. You know, you have gifts I don't have. I have gifts you don't have. That's why we're here. Amen? We minister one to another. Can I encourage you? Just so you know, my philosophy of ministry, if you're new, I don't ask anybody to do anything. And it frustrates people. Just tell me what to do. I'm not going to do that. Let me tell you why. Because if I tell you, you'll do it for me. Most of you. You'll do it, well, Pastor Dave's kind of a nice guy, so I guess I'll do it. Here's the thing. If you're doing it for me, you're going you're gonna to fall apart. You're going to fall out, and you're going to be hating me soon. Why did I tell him I'd come early and set up chairs? Sunday morning is when I sleep in. Man, how do I get out of this? Maybe if I pretend like my back hurts. That's an idea. Guys. I don't want anybody doing anything because it's a have to. I want it to be a get to. And guys, I won't call you because if I call you, I have to sustain you. I want God to call you because if he calls you, he will sustain you. And it will be a joy. And so you know, and people get mad at me, but I've been praying about, there's probably two dozen ministries I'm praying about that we as a church don't currently have, that God will raise up people to do it, but I'm not going to tell you what they are. You know Why? Because when God tells you, I'll know it's the Lord. You show up in my office and say, God's put it in my heart. I have such a burden to do this. I'm going to go, there it is. That's God. Because I didn't tell you, I prayed. He's talking to me. I'm talking to him. Lord, bring him when it's time. And we're not going to strive and just do stuff to do stuff to fill up the bulletin. We're not doing that. We're going to do it as God raises up people who are called by God. Can I encourage you? One of the greatest ministries there is, and I'll never ask any of you to do it, but I'll, I'll encourage you with it. 
I think one of the most fruitful ministries in the church is the children's ministry. And I'm amazed that every church I go to is always in need in the children's ministry. You know why? Because we're, we're all often more focused on what we're going to get on Sunday than what we're going to give. It's all about me. Well, if I'm in the children's ministry, I won't, be, I won't get to be in for worship. Aren't you glad that someone was in the children's ministry when you were a kid? You guys have all heard the story of Mrs. Green. You can hear it again. When I was a little kid at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington, I went to the four- and five-year-old class, and Mrs. Green had been the teacher in there for over 30 years, every Sunday. And she loved the four- and five-year-olds. I remember she would find me at church every week and would give me a hug and often had these little butterscotch candies to give all her kids. And she would pray for us throughout the week. And you know what? It was one day when I was four and a half years old that she told the story of the crucifixion with the flannel board. I can still tell you what the room looked like sitting in those little chairs. And then she gave us an opportunity to give our life to Jesus Christ. And you know what? I raised my hand. And Mrs. Green led me in the sinner's prayer. Gave me a little white Bible. And you know what? Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz is fruit of Mrs. Green's ministry. I don't know how many people she led to the Lord. We often think we're going to get to heaven and it's going to be, you know, who's going to be at the front of the line? I think it's going to be Mrs. Green. (laughs) You know why? Because she knew what she was called to do and she was faithful to it. Guys, it's not about us trying to see how comfortable we can be. But instead, Lord, show me what you have for my life. They shared in this distress and it was a blessing to Paul. And guys, when you come alongside, can I encourage you that after, be praying throughout the week for people. And then, you know, when you come to church, look for divine appointments and opportunities to reach out and love on each other. You know, when God wants to hug somebody, sometimes He wants to use your arms. He wants to speak to somebody, He wants to speak through your lips. And here's the thing, you've done well that you've shared in my distress. He's saying, I didn't really need the stuff, but you know what's blessed me? That you sharing in my time of difficulty. That I'm not alone. The Lord's with me, but it's a blessing to me to have people come alongside me and say, Paul, we're praying for you. Paul, we love you. Paul, here's a a physical gift, but more important than that, we just want you to know that that you're on our hearts. It says there, nevertheless, you have done well. You've done well. Guys, we're doing well when we take the time to pray for one another, put our arms around each other, encourage each other in our faith. Verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. They were the only church, as I said earlier, supporting Paul's ministry. Just them. I think they're pretty happy about that in heaven. They were faithful to give. Now, if you're new to Calvary Chapel, we don't talk about giving here unless it's in the text. We don't pass an offering, because I never want anybody here to think it's about money, because it's not. And by the way, God doesn't need your money. He's got a cattle on a thousand hills. Amen? Amen. Now, that being said, we should give. You know why we should give? Because we love Him. We don't give. And by the way, this isn't a big, you know, this isn't the religious lottery that you see on religious television. Now, if you plant your seed and you really believe, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not what we're doing. And again, you've heard me say it. Why have they always got to plant the seed in their garden? That's what I'm always trying to figure out. <laughs> you got to plant a seed, so call me and send it down, right? I don't get that. 
Why you got the only garden? How come you're not planting seed in my house? I don't understand that. But here's the point. The point is that we don't give so that we can manipulate God. If I give him stuff, then he'll owe me. You owe him. He doesn't owe you. Amen? We don't manipulate God. You know what we do instead? God loves a cheerful giver. You know the word there for cheerful in the original language is hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. That's not quite how it seems in the church today, is it? Hey, Beth, I got better give. We better not do that. By the way, if that's your heart, keep it. Keep it. Buy something else with it that will perish. <laughs> what if the Philippians had said, you know what, we really need some patio furniture. You know, Paul, I'm sure he's fine. He doesn't need our help. Let's get some patio furniture. How's that working out for you? They gave to Paul for the furtherance of the gospel. They remembered him. They supported him. They stood by him. They were co-laborers in ministry with him. You want to know something that blesses me? And I think this will sound... We've had people that have visited our church one time and then have a burden for us. There's at least four or five people that I know of that send money to our church every month, and they've been here once. Because they say, you know what? God's doing a work there. I have a burden for what you're doing. I want to be a part of it. And again, I, you, know, you guys know, and if you're new, please understand. Ask somebody who's been here more than once. We don't, talk, we don't do that. I'm not gonna ask, don't ever give money because man manipulated you. Don't do that. You give because out of love for the Lord, and He's moving on your heart. And you can do it cheerfully, or don't bother. That's the whole point. And these guys were cheerfully supporting Paul. And only they, it was only them that supported them. May we be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit as to how and who he would have us support. By the way, look, if you're going to support anything, look for a ministry that is fruitful. Look for a ministry that is fruitful. Look for a place where you're being fed and you're growing. And look for ministries that are producing great fruit and give there. There's a lot of people out there that are not really doing God's work, but are pretending to do so. Use discernment. Verse 16. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. He was ministering in Thessalonica, planting a church, and they were supporting him as he planted a church in another city. Man, I love this. This is a biblical model. That's the model. You send someone out and you support them as they go out so that they can devote themselves to the ministry full time. But look what he says. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Paul wasn't so interested in the gift itself or even the way it ministered to his own heart, but the spiritual and eternal benefit that would come from them giving to further the gospel. Guys, He's a pastor, and he's more blessed by their heavenly focus than any gift he got. And again, we don't talk a lot about giving, but when we give, we're storing up treasures in heaven. You know what? When you give to a missionary, the fruit of what he, he or she is doing belongs to your account. The Bible says, how should they go unless someone sends them? How are they going to go unless someone sends them? You know, I've been to India. I go every year. I've seen what those guys are doing. They're living in dirt shacks on dirt floors, 
Some of them pastoring four churches at a time, going 20 hours a day preaching the gospel, and are excited when they were able to buy a flashlight because they've been walking through the dark and they've been dodging snakes at night. And we're like, well, I don't think I'm going to church. It's raining outside. I have to walk all the way out to my heated car, sit in my leather seats and drive over there. It's a little bit too much for me. might get wet. might activate my moose or something, so I'm staying home. But the truth is, you got these guys, and man, I want to support them in ministry. I want to support them. You know why? Because they get it. Man, it's fruitful. By the way, if you don't know, Gospel for Asia has planted 40,000 churches in India. Think to get it or what? That's a fruitful ministry. That's why we support it. How shall they go unless someone sends them? As your pastor, I'm sometimes brought to tears. I think I shared this last week. But some of the simplest things. People coming in early, setting up chairs, chalk in the parking lot. People who faithfully prepare and teach our children. Servants' hearts working in the kitchen. People doing behind the scenes, working on CDs and tapes and the website and our finances. Giving someone a ride who's unable to get here without it. Praying for others in the body. Inviting people to church. You know what? My heart is often more moved by the results than just seeing what God's doing in your heart. I think, praise God. God's got a hold of that person. When someone's in the kitchen whistling and praising God, God's got a hold of that person. Amen? When somebody comes early, you know why? And again, the stuff is not what's relevant. It's the heart that blesses me and blesses God. Lord, I'm doing this for you. So it's a get to. It's a joy. It's not a have to. Heart often blesses me more again than results because they're doing it for the Lord. And again, the fruit of it will only be known in eternity. Look what he says here. Indeed, I have all and abound. I have all and abound. I have all and abound. Where is he writing this from? I'm in prison. I got everything I need. Got it all. Chained to a guard. Awaiting his potential death. I got it all. He does have it all, though, because he's got the Lord. Amen? Too often we think of blessing in a physical perspective. We'll drive by and see someone with a huge house and go, wow, that person's really blessed. Well, are they really? Because sometimes that's the very thing that keeps them from doing what God's calling them to do. Well, I'd love to serve the Lord, but, you know, I went through that. Early on, when I was a young man, I bought a a, a rather large house in Southern California, and... The market, it does, this does happen, by the way. I know we don't see it here. The market sometimes goes down. And down there, we lived where there was about 80% defense, and the defense didn't do so well. And about every third house was now empty, and now I owe twice as much of my house as it was worth. And I wanted to do minist- go into ministry full-time, but guess what? I, I called them golden handcuffs. Because I, had, I was so tight into my house that I couldn't do what God wanted me to do, and I vowed then and there, that's never going to happen again. I'm not doing that again. Again, nothing wrong with owning a house. I, I, you know, I own a trailer, okay? Nothing wrong with owning a house. It's okay. But make sure that owning the house doesn't own you. Make sure that that doesn't get in the way of you. I'd love to serve the Lord, but I've got to work seven jobs to pay my mortgage. <laughs> Who's your God? Who's your God? Choose today whom you're going to serve. Let's honor the Lord. Paul's in prison. He has nothing from the world's perspective. But what does he say? I have all and abound. 
I got it all, man. People here think he's out of his mind. He's not. He's the only one with the right mind. Because he's walking with Jesus. You think he got to heaven and was bummed out he didn't have a bigger house? You know, Lord, if you'd really been thinking about me, you would have hooked me up with a sweet place to live. Now, what's up with prison? Why I got to go to prison? Why I got to be day and night in the deep? What was that about? You don't see Paul doing that at all. Paul's not bummed out of God. Why, why do I got to be the one getting cancer? I got to know a lot of other people. Why don't you give it to one of them? Why I got to be the one? Guys, is God in control? Is God faithful? Can he use it for his glory? Let's let him. Let's let him. He's sovereign. He's faithful. Look what it says here. I have all and abound. I am full. Having received from Epaphroditus the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You know what that says? When we give to those who are doing God's work, it's a sweet-smelling aroma to God. That's what it says. When you gave it, they gave a small gift, or generous gift in this case to Paul, it was a blessing to God. A sweet smelling aroma in ephesians 5 uh, the reference of jesus dying on the cross is referred to as a sweet smelling aroma because of the result that it brings jesus is our ultimate example he gave himself for us may we give our all for him may we not do it again out of our own desires for recognition but do it out of love for the lord and the furtherance of the gospel Verse 19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He's going to supply all your need. Uh, You might want to underline the word need, not want. The whole name it and blame it, grab it and blab it, whatever you want to call it, falls down right there, doesn't it? You need to go out in your park, you need to go out in your driveway and claim it in Jesus' name. Cadillac, 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 Cadillac. I've seen a guy on TV doing that two weeks ago. I'm like, dude, you're out of your mind. Paul, you think Paul's, I have all in a bound. Paul had it all. This guy doesn't get it. You're on TV telling people to go claim a Cadillac in Jesus' name. You need to tell them about Jesus, amen? You need to tell them about their need for a Savior. We don't need a Cadillac. We need Jesus, amen? We need Him. I have all in a bound because I have Him. He says, and my God shall supply all your need. Here's the truth, you guys. We will never regret giving to the Lord. And know that as we give, we're not going to starve because we gave. All right? We're not going to. Now, you may not be eating at Shadowbrook every night. You might have a mix in a box of mac and cheese once in a while or something, right? But God's going to provide your needs, not your wants. And again, I know that's not a popular message in this prosperity time that we live in today. But I find it interesting. How many apostles were rich? Let me think. Uh, a few of them were until they became apostles. And then they weren't anymore. Matthew was a tax collector. That dude was loaded. Then he got saved and said, see ya. Don't need it. Rather have Jesus. Amen? Amen. Seek ye first his kingdom. And so he says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches. You know what I love about that? Does God ever run out of stuff? Ever. 
He doesn't give according to our faith, but according to His riches. And He's a faithful God. No matter what happens, whatever the need may be in my family, God is faithful to minister to us in the midst of it. And it's not just talking about finances. But you know what? Some of the difficulties we have are ultimately the, the, the need that needs to happen for us to reach others for the kingdom of God. I know people whose whole families have gotten saved because they got cancer. We'll pray, Lord, save my whole family. And then we get cancer and we go, wait a minute. I'm the only saved one here. What are you doing? And the Lord's saying, I'm saving your whole family. I want them to see how great of a God I am that you remain in love with me in the midst of the greatest circumstances. You know, and often, guys, it's, it's not the deliverance from the trial, but the faithfulness in it that is the greatest testimony. We think the greatest testimony is I get delivered from it, and that can be. And God can do that, can't He? He's a great physician. But sometimes He'll allow us to stay in it so people can see us in it, and then God will be glorified. Here's an example. Now look what he says, we're almost done. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever, amen. Who does Paul always give the glory to? The only one that deserves it? Be careful, there's only one celebrity in the church, it's Jesus Christ. Nobody else. Be careful. used to grieve me as a youth pastor, people get all whacked out about Christian bands. Oh, I met met Toby Mac, right. Got his autograph. I used to grieve me. You know what I'd say? Dude. You're a worship leader, not the, not the receiver of worship. Amen? We draw people into His presence. Don't put your pastor on a pedestal. Don't put teachers on TV on a pedestal. Don't put bands on a pedestal. Put Jesus Christ on the throne. He alone deserves to be there. Amen? And people fall hard because they put too much faith in men. Now look what he says. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those of Caesar's household. Now I love this. Here's the example we're going to close with because look at this. There are people saved in Caesar's household. How did that happen? Paul went to prison. Paul doesn't go to prison. People in Caesar's household don't get saved. Because what did they do to Paul? They chained him up to guards. Witnessing opportunity. (laughs) Captive audience. Where are you going? I got 12 hours with you, bro. Now let's just start at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. (laughs) Right? Captive audience. These guards were getting saved. He didn't have 12 hours, right? He'd disciple, lead him in the sinner's prayer, pray with him, lead him to Christ, disciple him, and say, see you tomorrow. And they send in another guy. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the, you, know, you know, you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You know what? If Paul doesn't go to prison, he can't say this. Guys, if we don't go through difficulty, it, we'll miss out on opportunities to have a testimony that will reach people for the kingdom of God. Don't be upset when things aren't perfect in life. Just say, Lord, how do you want to use this? Lord, I'm going to be content in all things because you're in control and you're a faithful God. Whether we are abased or abound, remain faithful and desperate for Him. Paul saw everything as an opportunity. And look, he ends the letter the way he began it. Look what he says. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. These are not filler words. This isn't, oh, by the way. But he's ending the epistle 
speaking of the matchless grace of our Savior. You know, that's a great way to end every conversation. Pointing them to the grace of God. Guys, may we never take the grace of God for granted. May we never take it too lightly. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Guys, we're the richest people on the planet if we're walking with Jesus Christ. And it's the eternal riches that matter. So in closing, the secret of contentment. What's the secret of contentment? How can we be content? Because God is in control, I can accept all things. Does God know everything that's coming into your life? What's the answer? He allowed it for a reason? Okay, Lord, I trust you. I can accept all things. Having tapped into God's unfailing power, I can do all things. Mostly in this case, in the context, is I can be content, Lord, no matter what happens, because I trust in you. And because your power is greater than anything I'm going through. And then thirdly, in light of his unchanging promises, I know for sure that I have all things. Guys, you're going to heaven. Does it get any better than that? You're going to heaven. You're going to spend eternity with the creator of the universe, where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more suffering. Forever and ever and ever. And too often we view death as the end, but guys, it's moving day to a much better neighborhood if you know Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. So can I encourage you? May we learn to be content. May it not be based on what's going on around us. May we not be thermostats that just reflect the world, but may we be, or may we be thermostats, not thermometers. <laughs> may we not be thermometers just to reflect the world, but thermostats that impact it. Guys, can I encourage you with one last thing? Can I encourage you to write down the names of 10 people and start praying for them? Write down the names of some coworkers, some unsaved family, some unsaved friends. Start praying for them. Watch what God does. We did this in youth group in San Jose. I'll tell you what, it was phenomenal. Kids would run up to me and say, you know, I started praying for this girl three weeks ago. I brought her to, to church last Sunday and she got saved. Start praying. Prayer doesn't change God's mind, it changes our hearts. We want to see revival in Santa Cruz? Let's start praying for Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz, Holy Cross. Let's tur- man, God can turn this place right side up, amen? He, he used 12 men to turn the known world right side up. He can use the 300 people in this room to do the same thing, amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord. You're a great and an awesome God. Lord, help us to find our peace, to find our hope, to find our contentment, not in our circumstances, not in the things of this world, but in right standing before you. Lord, if we have you, we have all and abound. Lord, as we walk with you, we can remain steadfast, Lord, knowing that you're faithful and that you're in control. And Lord, we can do all things, not in our ability, but through Christ who strengthens us. We can have that peace that surpasses all understanding in the greatest trial, Lord, because you're walking with us. Lord, I thank you that we're never alone, that you never leave us nor forsake us, that you are Abba Father. Lord, may we crawl into your lap, know intimate fellowship with you, and then, Lord, may it be reflected in how we live our lives every single day. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.